hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Man, this is, uh, as someone said, this is Super Bowl Sunday for the Christians. You know, he has risen. The Lord has risen. Amen, amen, amen. So glad to see so many of you here this morning. I just want to you know, go to the Lord in prayer. I mean, we've already sensed his uh, spirit, his presence here during our time of worship, but I'd like to ask his anointing upon the word. Please join me. Our Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you that this is the day that you have made. And God, we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Father, that as we look back over some 2,000 years of history, Lord, that churches all over the world today are celebrating this day, the day that the stone was rolled away, the day that the angels proclaimed, He is not here, He has risen, as He said. Father, we thank you for that. We pray that you would give us an ear to hear, an understanding heart this morning. Lord, let this not just be another Easter Sunday, but God, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would do something in the lives of each individual here that every person that came in contact with Jesus went away a different person. I pray that as we come into your very presence this morning, that we would go away different people today because of the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen and amen. All right, I see we need maybe more tissue, a few, you know, wet eyes in the place, but... Uh, I mean, it's a glorious thing. It's an absolute glorious thing. And, you know, as we, uh, we look, there, there's three days that, uh, that we kind of focus on, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, as we enter into this, uh, into this holy season. And Friday was one of those days. Uh, and they kind of, you know, are examples of, you know, not just the three days, but they're examples of the life uh, times that we go through. Friday was a day of great sorrow, a great, great sorrow. The disciples loved Jesus. I mean, they were passionate about him, even though they were afraid, didn't understand what happened on that day. But there was a time and a season for them that was a season of great sorrow. Saturday was a day of great confusion for them, just like many of you may be in a place in life right now where you're confused, you're not really sure what you should do, what to do, where to turn, what to, you know, where to go. With, with regard to relationships or school or college or careers. You know, it's just a time of like, you know, I don't know what's going on in my life. But then Sunday came, and Sunday was a victorious day. It was a great day of joy and victory and celebration. And so we go through these seasons in life. We go through these hurtful seasons in life, these painful seasons in life. We go through these confusion seasons of life where everything seems to be confused. It makes, life makes absolutely no sense. And then God brings us through all of that. We can look back, we can celebrate God in his great victory. We don't completely understand. And sometimes we think what happens on Friday is a terrible thing, but then as we are a little removed from it, uh, we, we understand, we have a better understanding. I've used this illustration many years ago, but it's a story about an African king and he had a good friend, and his good friend was always in the habit of saying, you know, it's a good thing. No matter what, what it was, he'd always say it's good. And, uh, you know, the, uh, one day they were out, and uh, the king uh, and his friend were out hunting. The king's friend loaded a gun, gave it to the king, uh, gave it to the king, and as the king shot, the gun was loaded wrong, and it blew the king's thumb off. 
And his friend, friend replied, this is good. It's a good thing. And the king says, uh, you know, he was horrified. He's bleeding. He's furious. He said, how can you say this is a good thing? This is obviously a horrible thing, he shouted. And the king put his friend in jail. But about a year later, the king was on a hunting trip by himself, and some cannibals caught him. They captured him. They tied him to the stake. They were about to set fire to him when they noticed that he was missing a thumb. And they, you know, because they didn't want to eat anything that was not whole, they were very superstitious, they turned the king loose. And so the king goes back and he tells his friend, he gets his friend out of prison, and he says, you're right, it was a good thing. You know, this was a good thing. He says, and now I put you in jail, and that was a bad thing. And his friend replied, no, no, it was a good thing. It was a good thing that you put me in jail. And his king, the king is like, how could you say that it's a good thing? You've been in jail for the last year. And he says, well, if I hadn't been in jail, I would have been with you, and they would have eaten me. <laughs> and so many times we think that what's when, time, when things turn bad and sour in our life, you know, we have the tendency to think, oh, this is really bad. And sometimes God is doing a glorious work even when we think things are bad. I'm going to begin uh, in John's Gospel. We'll be reading from John chapter 19 if you have your Bible or your iPad or your phone if you'd like to follow along or you can just watch the overhead. But this is the account of the crucifixion. And this morning I just want to tell you that as we look at, the, at this day in history, you know, uh, this is the day of resurrection, but just a couple of days ago on Friday, 2,000 years ago, some 2,000 years ago, the disciples were, they were distraught, they were dismayed, they were, you know, perplexed, they were, their hearts were full of sorrow, and uh, we'll pick it up there. It says, they took Jesus, they went out, and he, bearing his own cross, to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and they crucified him with uh, two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. And Pilate wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, listen to this carefully, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, I want to just take you back 30-some-odd years prior to that. Remember when the wise men, or the wise men came looking for Jesus, and they went to King Herod, and they said, where is he that is born? Help me out. King of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east. And so, again, another king, King Herod, same name, you know, writes above him, where is he? Or this inscription in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek, the king of the Jews. And so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers that had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, they divided them in the four parts, uh, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. The tunic was seamless, a woven, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it will be. This was to fulfill the scripture which said, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother Mary and uh, his sister, and Mary, the, uh, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. 
And when Jesus saw his mother and disciple and the disciple whom he loved, that would have been John. It said John, just as John, James and John, the sons of thunder, as you recall. They were the same two that wanted to call fire down on the village of Samaria when they didn't want to receive Jesus. But when Jesus saw his mother and uh, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, John, took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst, I thirst. I don't know if any of you have ever been in that place where you thirst. You know, many of you know that last uh, August I was in an ATV wreck. And the first thing I wanted, I couldn't think of anything else. Some of you were there. I wanted water. I mean, I so desperately wanted water. I was trying to buy water at the hospital where they give it free. And nobody was giving me water. But I so desperately just wanted one drink of water. And I know that, I know that feeling. Many of you know that feeling as well. But when he said, I thirst, a jar full of sour wine stood there. And they put a, a sponge uh, full of sour wine on hyssop on a hyssop branch. Remember, hyssop was used in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. Remember that a Passover lamb was killed and the blood was dipped in the, in the hyssop or the hyssop was just dipped in the blood and it was placed over the, the head, the header and the side post and so that the death angel would pass over Jesus as being crucified on Passover. It says, uh, they dipped it in hyssop, and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. This is one of the number of sayings that Jesus said on the cross, and it's the one that I want to focus up to, on today. And when he said that it is finished, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. And so I, I want us to think about, if you're fairly new to the faith, maybe this doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Maybe you understand the, the Easter story, the story of resurrection, that Jesus just simply died for our sins so that you and I could go to heaven. But I want to point out several things that happened on the cross that day. Number one, the Bible tells us that he took away our shame the day that he was crucified. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a place where you've been in, in uh, you know, you've been ashamed. I've got a couple of testimonies here. One, one, one person said, I remembered being at the police station, being fingerprinted, having my picture taken. Um, I remember the handcuffs and the leg shackles put on me. I felt so ashamed that I had to call my pastor and family and tell them about my hidden addiction. But mostly I struggled with being a 42-year-old mom, having been arrested, and now having a, re a record, and I feel shame for the for having nothing to show for all of those wasted years. And I want to tell you that maybe some of you are in that place today. You've got a lot of wasted years. But the God that we serve, listen to me, the God that we serve is also called the Redeemer. And he can redeem the years that you have wasted and put them in restoration, restore your life, so that you don't have to look back in shame at the past, but you can look forward to a glorious future because of what his son Jesus did on the cross. Amen? 
Another mom testified that she was so wrapped up in her addiction that she failed to uh, care for her children. She said, now my 15-year-old daughter was taking care of my uh, children due to my addiction, and my daughter now was pregnant, and she was only 15 years old. The power of shame can be rooted in the memories of our childhood experience, like Harvey experienced when he was only five years old. One day they were going somewhere. He says, my dad and I were going somewhere. My dad was in a hurry, and I wasn't getting in the car fast enough to imagine a five-year-old. So my dad became very angry and kicked me. The physical pain was not what hurt. It was the shame of what he did to me, states Harvey. This abuse was repeated all during my childhood. I grew up hating my father and myself. How many of you remember a time where you were ashamed? You've done something in your own life. I do. I do. How many of you have ever been in jail before? You remember that, you know? I, I, I was in jail before. I was preaching while I was in jail. Uh, no, I, I, that's, that is true. But I, 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 was, I, was, I was in jail before. I remember being in jail for disturbing the peace. Imagine that. I was, listen, I was shooting fireworks when it was time that you could shoot fireworks. I was 12 miles from the city limits, and I thought it was legal. And it was legal, but unfortunately, there were some there that didn't like me uh, because of my history. And uh, when I was arrested, I was arrested by not just police officers, but I was arrested by narcotics detectives. And I was carrying something in my possession that I shouldn't have had. And I kept thinking, okay, there's two of them and one of me. Not that I could beat them up or anything. But I was thinking, they're going to get in the front seat of the car, and they're going to put me in the back seat of the car. And when this car is driving about 60 miles an hour, I can roll the window down, and I can shake out everything that's in this bag until there's nothing left, and I'll be home free. But when we got to the car, the one officer said, son, you sit in the front seat. <laughs> okay, there goes that plan. And so when we go to town, we go right past the police station. And I thought, this is interesting. Where are we going? And so we drove another 15 or 20 miles to the Justice of the Peace, and I thought, okay, this is over, you know, deal over. I can hang on to what I've got. I had an opportunity. I was able to go to the bathroom by myself. I could have flushed whatever I had, you know, down the, the toilet. Nobody would have ever known, but I thought, it's over. It's a done deal. They're just going to slap me on the wrist. So we get back in the car. We go to the police station. I had this tucked in a very private spot that I thought no one would ever find. But when we get back to the police station, they want to take my picture and after they take my picture, the officer says, take off all your clothes. And I thought, oh, God. I had so many opportunities. I had so many opportunities. And I said, why? <laughs> and he says, well, we want to make sure that you don't have anything that you can hurt yourself with, you know, until someone comes and pays your fine. And I said, how much is my fine? And they said, $100. And I said, can I pay it? And they said, if you got the money, you can pay it. 
And I reached in my pocket. I didn't have a clue how much money I had. But I'm standing there with the lights in my face, and I pulled out $103 bills. And I think about that. I had $3. When I walked out of that place, I had $3 in my pocket. And I don't know why I thought this, but I thought that there is a God in heaven, and he is known as the Father, and as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And I just escaped a long term in jail because of his grace. And as I look back at that, with my, even with my children here this morning, it was just a time in my life when I was very foolish and had done some, some stupid things in life. And I can think, I, you know, I'm ashamed of what, what happened then. But we don't have to be ashamed because of what Jesus did. Listen to this. You know that shame was one of the results, one of the first results of sin. When we go back to Genesis and we look in Genesis chapter 3, talking about Adam and Eve and that she took some of the fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were open. Listen, this is the first result of sin. The moment that their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame and their nakedness and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Broken relationships with God causes shame. And, and, you know, many times we come to church on Sunday morning and it's so easy for us to put our fig leaves on. You know what fig leaves look like today? They don't look like fig leaves. How's it going? Oh, it's going fine. My life is good. Life is great. Everything's fine. That is the cover. That's what we put on. That's the facade that we hide behind when we're, you know, when we're full of shame. You ever been to a party? And, you know, if you're, if you're full of shame, you either want to be the center of attention so no one can ask you anything about how your life is or you want to get over in the corner with everybody else and just kind of like, I don't want anybody to talk to me. I don't want anybody to say anything to me because I'm deeply hurt. I'm deeply wounded inside because sin has caused shame and shame has ruining my life. And when then we read in Genesis, it says, and the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid their face from the Lord uh, in, the in the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to the man, and he called out, Adam, where are you? And I want to just tell you that God is calling some of your names right now. He is speaking your name today because he wants to know where you are. And he wants you to come back. Notice that God went not looking for Adam and Eve. They didn't go looking for him. They didn't go and say, God, we blew it. We got a problem. You know, we've messed up. We've done what you told us not to do. No, they were hiding from, from God because of their sin and because of their shame. And God is looking, you know, God was looking for Adam and Eve. And God called to the man and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid so I hid myself. And you know, he says that in Psalm chapter 69, speaking about Jesus, a prophetic psalm, it says, you know how I am scorned and I'm disgraced and I'm shamed. You know, that Jesus was stripped, you know, basically naked, marched through the town with people looking at him, bearing his cross, and just as, as you saw in, uh, depicted in the video, I mean, just beaten. The, some people say the beating alone was enough to kill a normal person. And that's why he died so quickly on the cross. He said, scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. 
I would look for comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And then we read from Ezra, and the children of Israel have been released. They've gone from the Babylonian captivity back to build the temple again. And Ezra offers up this prayer, and as he begins to cry out, he says, Oh my God, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Look. He says, look, you know, I mean, we've, been, we've wasted 70 years. 70, let's think about this. We've wasted 70 years in captivity because of our sin. We've missed 70 years. And some of you have missed 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years because of your captivity. And I want to tell you that today, the message of, of Easter is that God has set you free, not only from your shame, but from your captivity, as we'll see here in just a moment. And as it cries out, I'm, in, I'm ashamed, I'm blushed to lift my face to you, oh my God, for my iniquities, my sins, my transgressions have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt, that's also something else that's associated with sin. Sin and guilt and shame, the three of them go together. Our guilt is mounted up to heaven from the days of our Father to the, th through this day. It says, we have been in great guilt. For our iniquities, we have sinned, and our kings and our priests have been given into the hand of the king of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant, to give us a secure hope within this holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Notice this connection. First came shame and then comes slavery. He says, in our slavery, we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery. I'm going to just talk to you for a moment about that because, you know, some of you today are in slavery. You, you think about, well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm here today. But what kind of slavery could you be in? You could be in the slavery of drugs or alcohol or pornography or, you know, trying to, you know, discover your sexual orientation, what you're, what you're prone to, what you're driven to. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe someone hurts you. Maybe you're angry at someone today. And that brings captivity, it brings slavery. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ set you free, that he took your place as a slave. So Jesus said to the Jews that believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been a slave to anyone. Well, think about it. You know, I mean, I know they have the same Bible that we have, and yet, throughout the history, we find that the children of Israel were not only in slavery to the Egyptians, but they were in slavery to the Assyrians, to the Babylonians. And at the time that they spoke those words, they were slaves to the Romans. He says, you know, they, we've never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, or of a truth I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son, but the son, but the daughter remains in the house forever. So if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. In Galatians, or excuse me, in Galatians chapter 4, so it says that you are no longer a slave. That's what sin does to us. Sin brings us into slavery. But you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you an heir. In John, 1 John chapter 3, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And I want you to know that if you've got, you know, if you wake up every day and say, God, forgive me, 
forgive me for doing this. I promised you that I would never do it again. I promised you, God, last night I said that I would never do this again, and here I am. I'm doing it again. You know why you're doing it again? Because you are a slave to sin. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to set you free. He came to set the captive free. He came to destroy the works of the devil in your life. And if you'll give him the opportunity, that is what resurrection is about. That's what newness of life is about, is giving you a new start in life, breaking Satan's power, breaking sin's power in your life so that you can be a, the person that God created you to be before the world even began. Amen? All right, you know, I spent this week, I was listening to uh, Rick Warren, I was listening to Gateway, I was listening to Tony Evans, I was listening to all these guys, you know, just listening to the, the message of Easter, and, you know, as I, I mean, I was just getting pumped up listening to these guys, just like, yes, 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 that's it, that is it, that's the message of Easter. I look back at my life, I look at where sin had, had, had me in bondage. I look where there was a power of sin in my life that I couldn't get out. And I know that some of you are struggling with it and see that when you told God last night or last week that you had never done this sin or you'd never do this sin before and then you ended up doing it one day or two days or three days later, see, that brings guilt and shame. And it's just like, you know, I can never own up. I can never man up. I can never be the man that God's called me to be. And see, if you could do it by yourself, then there was never a need to send a Savior. But the reason that you can't do it by yourself is because you need a Savior. And with the Savior's power in your life, and remember what Jesus said, I'm leaving, but someone else is coming, and that someone else is called the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm giving you power. He said, go to Jerusalem. You can read it in your Bible in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait till you're filled with power from on high. And I'm going to tell you, if you're struggling with sin today, if you seem to be, be repeating the same sin over and over and over again, you need a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit in your life. That's what you need. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if we could, again, if we could have done it by ourselves, God, you know, the death of Jesus was a waste on the cross. And God just say, hey, man up, suck it up, get right. But see, we can't get right. And many of us have been trying to get right without God. And let me just tell you, you'll never be able to get right without God. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? He said, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, and without me, listen, without me, you can do nothing. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need Jesus in our life. Okay, so not only did he take away my, my shame, not only did he, you know, set me free from being a slave, he took away my sickness. And I know that many of us think that sickness is just kind of a New Testament concept, that it just happened. Jesus showed up and people started getting sick. And while that's true, there was also a lot of sickness and diseases that were healed in the Old Testament. But let me start in Matthew chapter 8. It says, that evening they brought to him many that were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed. Listen, notice the distinction, the, the distinction between the spiritual sickness and the physical sickness. He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all those that were sick, and that was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In Psalm chapter 30, verse 2, it says, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. 
And then Isaiah chapter 38, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. He says, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. See, Isaiah had already received the sentence of death. The prophet came to him and said, Isaiah, get your house in order. You're getting ready to die. And the prophet walks out the door. Isaiah falls on his face. He begins to weep. He begins to cry. And he begins to say, God, remember all the things that I've done for you. Remember all of these things that I've done, you know, for you. Uh, this is the, I'm sorry, not Isaiah. This is Hezekiah. And so, and Hezekiah begins to recount that. And then the prophet comes back and begins to, God says, I mean, before he even got to the door, God says, I heard his cry. Now go back and tell him I've added 15 years to his life. And then, you know, he begins to reply, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. Remember we were talking about Friday? Friday doesn't look so good. That's the day that he got the word. That's the day that the prophet said, you're getting ready to die. Get your house in order. Friday didn't look so good. But before the prophet got to the door, he came back. And, I, and, and he begins to say, it's re, uh, the account is in Isaiah chapter 38. He says, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such, such anguish. Listen, in your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. And you put all my sins, all of my sins, all of my yesterday sins, all my today sins and all my tomorrow sins, you put all my sins behind your back. And listen to what he says. He says, he's crying out to God. He says, God, he says, the grave cannot praise you. And, and those that go down, he said, death cannot sing praises to you. And those that go down into the pit cannot hope for your destruction. He goes on, he says, the living, God, it's the living. Now, I know that there are a lot of churches that we got living that sometimes we act like we're dead. But I tell you what, when God begins to move in your life and you see a great move of God in your life, you're going to be shouting out like this man right here. God, it's not the grave. The grave, can't, the grave can't praise you. The dead cannot sing your praise. Those that go down in the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they're the ones that can sing your praise. The living are the ones that can sing your praise. He says, as I am doing today. And then he says, parents tell their children about your faithfulness. See, when you've gone through something that, I mean, just the, um, a mess that you can't get yourself out of. It's our first tendency, you know. It's like, I can fix this. I can get out of this. You know, I made, I made this bed. I can sleep in it. I can fix this mess. But when you get to the place, we call it against the wall. And when you get against the wall and you realize that you can't fix it and only God fixes it and only God can fix it, you come away saying, you know, God, I just want to bless you. I just want to praise you, God. God, I tried, I've tried, I've messed up, I've tried. And God, you broke through. You came through in an hour of need. I want to just tell you that, you know, you don't have to be somebody super spiritual. I mean, God came for sinners. Any sinners in this place today? Well, a few. All right. So God came for sinners. And, and he came because he knew that we couldn't fix it. And he wants to fix it for you. Would you just give him an opportunity? You know, you've been trying for 5 and 10 and 15 years, and you've been going to church, and you've been saying your prayers, and, and your life is still messed up. And see, well, Jesus didn't, you know, come and die on the cross so that we could just go to church and try to fix it ourselves. He said, it's beyond. It's beyond your being able to fix it. You can't fix it. And that's why 
you need a Savior. And that's why I need a Savior. And that's why when we're in the mess, we got somebody that can listen and will listen and help us get out of that mess. Amen? And then finally, you know, not only did he come and save me from my shame and deliver me from being a slave, and he helps me in my sickness, he has taken away my sin, and that's the big thing, because all of these other things kind of start with sin. And I I would just read from you from Isaiah chapter 53, and I want to just to ask if our men and women, we're going to have communion this morning. If you were here last week, we were out of little cups. So we had big cups. Today, we're still out of little cups. And we still have big cups. Okay? So, so as I, and, and I'm going to just ask at the same time, and we're just a few minutes from wrapping this up except for communion. You know, if our prayer ministers, some of you that are, are our prayer ministers, if you would just go over and stand against that wall, because the Bible tells us that, you know, that before we take communion, it says that we should examine ourselves, examine our hearts, and, you know, that, that we shouldn't eat or drink of this cup in an unworthy manner. And maybe you want to confess your, your sins today, or maybe there's something that you just want prayer about today. And I'm going to just encourage you that there are men and women that will be standing against this wall and you don't have to be the first in the communion line. You can be, you know, you can just get at the end of the line. But maybe there's something that you want to talk to God about before you even partake in communion today. But let's talk about sin for just a moment. Now listen, this was written in uh, 700 and some odd years before Jesus was even born. And it's from Isaiah chapter 53. And I, I want you to just, if you would just... I, I, don't, I don't want you to be distracted by the men and women that are coming up. If you just kind of close your eyes and just really let these words settle in on your heart. Talking about a man, someone that was going to come. And I want you to just think about this. 700 and approximately 50 years before Jesus showed up, Isaiah wrote this. And he says, he, speaking about Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. For he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But God has laid on him the iniquity, that means sin, of us all. God has taken the, the whole world. That's why in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you've never made that commitment, I want you to just stand up this morning. If you don't know this, if you don't know this morning, if you're going to heaven or hell, and you want to go to heaven, you don't want this just to be another Easter Sunday, I want you to just stand up 
Just say, God, I need your power in my life. I, I need you, God. I need you, Lord. I need your power. I need, I need the forgiveness of sin in my life. I need you, Lord. I need your, the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I need resurrection power in my life. I've been trying to do this so long on my own that today I need you. Now, remember what Jesus said? If you're ashamed of me before men, that I'll be ashamed of you before my heavenly Father. If God's speaking to you, don't, don't, don't let whoever's standing next to you or beside you or in front of you hinder you. I'm encouraging you just to stand up right now where you are. I'm going to read another scripture while we're still standing. It says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, that by his wounds that we've been healed. And then Peter said, For Christ suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And I'm going to tell you, there's only one way for you to get to God. And you cannot leave this life. You cannot leave this world. There's no second chance. There's no other opportunity that when you stand up and say, God, I want to be, I want to be on your side. I want to be in your kingdom. I want my past to be behind me. I want God, I want you to take, take control of my life from this day forward. And for those of you that are standing and it's not too late to stand, you can stand up right now. You can stand up right this moment. You can stand up. Look around you. I mean, you're welcome to look around because there are those that are standing that are not ashamed of Jesus today. They're not ashamed of Jesus. And we applaud you. We applaud you for standing and taking that bold step. Thank you. Thank you. I just, I just want to pray with you. And you can just simply just say in your heart, in the quietness of your heart, dear Lord, I know that I've sinned against you and I've broken your rules and I've transgressed your laws and I've sinned against you and I've grieved you with my life. But I'm asking you, Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you that you would forgive me my sins and cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness, that you would wash me in the blood of the Lamb today as we saw the precious blood of Jesus in that, that video demonstration flowing from that cross, that that blood was shed for me and I stand beneath that shower of that blood, washing my sins away today. God, today, I know that you are writing my name among those that are saved, those that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, today, this Easter Sunday of March the 20th of 2016, you have written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And because of that, I have salvation and I am saved. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Please be seated. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. For those of you that are saved and you've asked Jesus to come into your life, I want you to listen to these last couple of scriptures. From Job chapter 6, and maybe you feel this way. My life drags by day after hopeless day. And I know that you know, you believe in your heart that there's a God in heaven. You know that you've received him as your Lord and Savior, but nothing seems to change. And you certainly can relate to these scriptures that my life drags, drags by day after hopeless day. My life is but a breath and there's nothing good left. I just want to give you hope. I want to encourage you today that while you may be struggling in your walk with God, that God is there. 
and he will see you through this. You remember that it was 25 years that Abraham asked the Lord for a son. It was 25 years before it came to pass. You remember the man that was blind? He was blind in John chapter 10, I believe it is. Nine or, it's in John chapter 9. It says that the man was blind from birth. And Jesus shows up and brings healing to him. You remember the man with leprosy? No one wanted anything to do with him. He was an outcast. He had the plague. Nobody was, they were afraid that they too might get it. But he said, Jesus, Jesus. And for those of you that are struggling and those that are going on day after day after day, perhaps today is the day of breakthrough for you where you say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Is that you? Am I speaking to you this morning? You can just raise your hand. Am I speaking to you? Just day after day after day, am I speaking to you? Please raise it. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. I, I just want to pray for you. Jesus, let today be the day. Let there be a great breakthrough in my life today. Jesus, break through. Destroy all of these old habits and all of these old thought patterns, Father. Just turn the page. Let today be a new chapter in my life. Let me start a new beginning with you. Let me have a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. God, break away the shackles that have hindered me from running the race that you set before me. And let me run with freedom. Let me run with the breath of God.